Good evening, everybody. My name is Liz Gray, and I'm the rector at Incarnation, and particularly delighted to welcome any visitors who are here with us uh, this evening. Well, I don't suppose any of you have ever been in quite such a strange Palm Sunday procession. Uh, this, this little march in tiny little boxes on a screen, it's uh, kind of unusual. But I wonder what other marches you have been involved in in your life, marches that perhaps have influenced you one way or another, things that have made an impact, memories that you have. And I doubt that uh, many of us have got strong personal memories of, say, for example, the civil rights marches. But who hasn't seen videos of Martin Luther King standing on the Lincoln Memorial steps giving his I Have a Dream speech? a march which had huge significance in this country. Perhaps more recent history, most of us could probably remember having either been aware of or maybe even being a part of the Women's March in 2017. And it was a march which had lots of resonance around the country and there were many issues associated with it, perhaps some of which you agreed with, perhaps some of them you didn't. But it was certainly uh, a, an important march. Every year, many Anglicans and many, many others join together for the March for Life, a, a march for proclaiming the rights of the unborn. So many marches, so many opportunities for people to speak out about issues or about things which they want to protest or kind of shout about. But when you think of other kinds of marches, sometimes I think about a real American speciality is, is kind of like the parades, like the ticker tape parades. I don't know any other country which does parading quite so enthusiastically or um, as well as Americans do. I, I don't know if they still make ticker tape or what you have to throw at a ticker tape parade these days if you don't have ticker tape. But um, I can picture having watched astronauts coming back or politicians, uh, uh, presidents, or maybe um, Fourth of July parades, or the Rose Bowl parade, or, or when you all are more Irish than the Irish in the St. Patrick's Day parade. Uh, so many parades, such fun. Parades are so great because you see all the, the kind of floats and people going down the road and there's the noise and the bands and the, the excitement of waving flags and um, posters, floats with spectacle and delight. There are also kind of power parades. If you might have watched on May Day or you'll see in May Day this year when, I doubt if you'll do it this year, but normally in Russia, you'll see these parades with armies and troops and tanks going down the streets as uh, people want to show their power. Another kind of march which I, and Simon and I were involved in and were influenced by was the March for Jesus. And, uh, I was thinking back this week, I think one of the first ones in the UK was in 1987 and we went with our two or three week old baby Adam and uh, we joined it and they were such fun. Our church was one of the three churches in London which had started March for Jesus UK and you know, you've probably sung sign, Shine Jesus Shine at some point. You know, we sang that all through the streets of London. Um, and one of the things I liked about March for Jesus was certainly at that point I it was simply seen as a way of proclaiming Jesus around the streets, a, a procession of praise where people could just give thanks that Jesus was king. It was great fun. So when we see Jesus paused at the edge of Jerusalem, as he's about to enter into what became some form of march or parade, 
that procession which we so oddly and uncomfortably and kind of delightfully tried to reproduce a minute or two ago. What was it exactly that was happening in Jerusalem that day? Well, what he did looked a little bit like a victory march. And a victory march would have been when a, a general or king would have come in on their grand war horse and gone down the central street and dragging prisoners behind them. And there would have been this kind of celebration of victory. What was Jesus doing as he started out? Was he expecting some sort of victorious parade? But to be honest, when we read this account of Jesus's parade, which Amy read to us earlier, it, it's almost like a parody of a real victory march. To begin with, as he approaches Jerusalem, Jesus weeps. In Luke 19, it says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. What victorious conqueror weeps over his home city as he enters. But Jesus wept at their lack of understanding, their lack of ability to see, their blindness. He wept. He wept over the sin of the people, their inability to see beyond their own selfish expectations. The crowd were eager to be rid of their Roman oppressions, pressures, but was this the moment? Was he the one who would lead a revolt? After all, they'd seen him heal. They'd seen him raise the dead. Now could he save them from their bullying overlords? But Jesus wept. Jesus wept at their preoccupation with their own desires, their inability to see a bigger picture. And as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, He's not riding some grand war horse. He's riding on a donkey, a humble beast of burden, more used to carrying loads to market than people. It's not even his own donkey, it's a borrowed one. But yet, as he rides on this lowly beast, he fulfills another prophecy. From Zechariah, we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus comes riding not a war horse, but a symbol of peace. And those branches that were waved, palm branches were waved and they were a symbol of victory. But this victory that Jesus was bringing wasn't going to be a victory over the Romans. It wasn't going to be a bloody war. It was going to be a victory he would do alone on a cross. The victory he was heading into was a symbol of shame. But the people had great expectations. They saw a potential victor, so they shout, Hosanna, save us. It says in verse 9, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. But even as some shouted Hosanna, there were some clearly who didn't actually even know who he was. In verse 10 it says, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet, Jesus, from Nazareth of Galilee. 
so, so many of people in the crowd were joining in, not even because they really had any idea who he was, but just kind of because the parade was fun and it was noisy and it was a, a break from the monotony of normal. So all these people joined and shouted Hosanna. But yet in a few minutes, a few hours, they would shout, crucify him. So why did Jesus ride into Jerusalem on that day on a donkey? Well, Jesus was preparing. He was actually deliberately setting out on a course of seeming self-destruction. He went under the instruction of the Holy Spirit. It went to transpire to fulfill many prophecies. And he went to offer himself as a sacrifice for you and for me. It was the day before Passover, the day when lambs were taken to the temple to be inspected by the high priests. And so he went into Jerusalem and he went to the temple, but not to be inspected by the high priest. He went as the high priest. And he went ultimately because he loves us and because he recognized that the day was fast approaching when he would be arrested, tried, condemned, crucified in order to bring fulfillment to that love. And he didn't have to do it. He went because he chose to do it. He chose to ride into Jerusalem on that day. I don't know if you ever look down, look at pictures of space and look down at the earth, this little kind of colorful globe hovering, it seems, in space. And sometimes I imagine God looking at earth and right from the moment when he created it, loving it. And yet when evil came in, I wonder if he contemplated what he would do with earth, whether he thought for a moment about just going away and leaving the little earthlings to sort it all out, to destroy themselves. He could have perhaps chosen to simply concentrate on other beauties, other worlds, other ideas. But from the very creation of the world, God made a choice. He made a choice to love. To love this earth with such passion, with delight. To love this world enough to always give people a chance to love him back. To love this world enough to get involved in the deepest caverns of our powerfully frail and faulty choices. To love this world enough to become human and then to carefully and intentionally grab every single vice failing, misspoken word, every deed done from malevolence or cruelty, every item of waste and violence, every darkness, every moment of forgetfulness and thoughtfulness or deliberate cruelty, to take every single broken thing, to take them into himself and then to make all things new so that we could move from the, this kingdom to the fullness of a kingdom of God. And so God chose to involve himself so deeply in the story that he would suffer. He chose to become a servant to the very people who would kill him and attempt to destroy him. And so God chose through Jesus to love us. But what about Jesus? Jesus, God on earth, fully man. How did he do it? How did he take these steps? Because Jesus did not choose to ignore the world either or leave it to its faith. Jesus did not come as a 
warrior on a war horse, issuing autocratic decrees. He came out of love and he came with a choice and engaged with people. He came and poured out love even because he himself knew he was loved. Jesus stepped into each decision knowing that his father had poured out his love on him at his baptism, knowing that love which he experienced when he retreated day by day to spend time with God in prayer. Daily, regularly, ritually even, knowing that he was loved. And so even as Jesus knew that he was loved, he was then able to choose to love the people around him. He also was able to choose to love the people beyond his physical circle, beyond the remit of his friends and family, beyond even the confines of his time on earth. And it was that love that sustained Jesus, that love that propelled him down the hill into Jerusalem on a donkey that day. And so for us, as we stand clutching our palm branches today, looking ahead into the days and weeks ahead, I wonder how you're doing. I wonder how you're doing as you look out your front door into this new virus-filled world. I wonder how you're doing as you look with fear around every corner, in days when it can feel frightening to leave the house, let alone march with others. Doesn't that just feel like an impossible event? I wonder what your levels of anxiety are doing at the moment, whether you're frightened for yourself or for friends or family, for people you know, and even for those you don't know. Perhaps you're fearful for our society, our culture, our way of life, Fearful of loss of income, fearful of being able to feed families, fearful of the future. One of the things that is so unprecedented at the moment is that not only are perhaps we feeling uncertain, but, but so is everybody all around the globe. That heightened sense of anxiety, every country, every society, every people group. And this is such a deep fear where the enemy cannot be seen. But not only is anxiety riding high, but grief is as well. Grief for those we know, grief for those we don't know. Grief for those whose lives are being turned upside down as they come face to face with unexpected death or loss. And to be honest, with all this emotional turmoil going on, it's also likely that you're feeling kind of weary, sleep disturbed or deprived. Many of us have spoken about waking up in the night, chasing thoughts around our heads. You may also be tired of social isolation, tired of this pressure to learn new skills, methods of working, tired of juggling the increased pressure of kids at home, roommates at home, living and working in the same small spaces, missing physical contact. And to be honest, with these levels of grief and fear coupled with weariness, it would be very easy to begin to turn to anger to point fingers, to blame, to castigate. We may see ways that we feel like we have been failed by each other, by our leaders, by governments around the world. And so what do we do with our grief, our anxiety, our sleeplessness, our potential anger? Look at Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem. We see him later this week. We'll sit with him in the garden of Gethsemane 
We'll sit with him as he weeps on Friday. Later on in this account, which Amy read earlier, Jesus goes into the temple and we see him angry. Fear, weariness, anger, grief as he weeps. Jesus has experienced and knows all these emotional responses. And so the call to us is, I believe, the same as the call that there was to Jesus. As we wave our palm branches and look into Jerusalem, we need to know that we are personally sustained by the love of our Father, as we are called to choose to love. So remember again how Jesus knew that he was loved. He knew that he was loved because he spent time with his Father. He knew that he was loved because his father poured out his words of blessing on him. He knew that he was loved because he spent time reading the word. He knew what his father had spoken. He knew that he was loved because he knew who he was and he knew his purpose. And so my challenge to all of us this evening is how do we prepare to choose to love? Well, spiritually, we need to know, first of all, that we are beloved. We need to know that God loves us. And to do that, we really need to spend time with him. And this is something which I've been just telling myself day after day in these past weeks. Spend more time with Jesus. Spend more time listening to his voice. Spend less time listening to the voices which feed the anxiety and fear and anger and all those other emotions. Be informed, but spend time believing and knowing and listening for the words that we are loved. It can be so helpful to just spend more time reading scripture, reading the stories of Jesus and his, watching his responses to people and to his father. Perhaps it's time to spend some time in the Psalms, reading laments, N.T. Wright wrote a great article this week about how we need to spend time lamenting as the church at the moment. Perhaps you need proverbs and a dose of wisdom. One challenge that I've come up with recently is to learn a psalm so that when I wake in the night and I'm finding myself going in circular thinking, I can begin to speak truth into the darkness. And so as we choose to love the world at the moment, we choose to do all these things spiritually, just as we're choosing to do all the practical things, which you're already doing so well. The myriad things from washing hands and keeping distance, the myriad things of watching out for our neighbors, seeking to serve. Amy has created such a great list of ways for us to serve, and she's constantly on the lookout for the ways we can reach out to our neighbors and friends and those around us. So when you're feeling a little afraid or sad or angry or weird, weary this week, can I encourage you to stop, to breathe deeply, to remind yourself that you are loved, to ask Jesus to be with you in your emotional turmoil, and maybe to sit with your palms up for a while, and if you feel anger rising or the desire to shame others or to shout, hold it out. Ask the Holy Spirit to breathe on you, to remind you that you are loved. And when you're able to, look at the hands you're holding and ask Jesus to show you where you can love in that particular situation. Perhaps there is a small gesture you can make 
a small wound you can clean, a small offering you can proffer. Love does cast out fear, and I invite you to ask for more courage in this season to love out of a confidence that you are beloved. As Henry Nouwen says, hope frees us to live in the present with a deep trust that God will never leave us. Even as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, he knew what was ahead of him, but he also knew that he was doing exactly the right thing because he was moving in the direction that God was calling him into. And he did it because he loves us, each one of us deeply. We're going to just have a moment now of quiet. And if there are things that are on your mind, if there are places where you are angry or weary or sad or anxious, can I ask you to just put them in your hands, to hold them out, and then to ask for a glimpse of where to love. Where is it that God is calling you to love into a situation or into somebody else's life at the moment? Jesus, I thank you that you know and understand our emotional responses. You don't condemn them, but you woo us to go into them and to sit with them and to listen to them. And then you soothe, you comfort, you restore. I pray for all of us in this week ahead. May we know you, your very close presence. May we know your touch, even as we long for the touch of others. And will you teach us to love even through our emotional responses? When we are scared or lonely or sad, will you remind us that we are beloved and that is the rock on which we stand? That we operate not out of our own resources, but out of the resources of heaven. And then will you give us courage to move forward like Jesus did on that donkey riding into Jerusalem, knowing that love is not easy and doesn't always end in a way which is comfortable. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the ways that you love us. Amen.